Hey there, welcome to our favorite things podcast, episode three of our favorites. <laughs> if if you're new here, welcome. If like you kind of stumbled on or because of the book you're here, welcome. Thanks for joining our virtual book club. And as I mentioned, or I actually didn't, but this is a four, we're doing a four week series where we've picked four books to read over the summer. Excuse me. <coughs> We started with uh, Sherry Dimmerlein's Marrow Thieves. Mm-hmm. We read Amy Kaufman's Bachelor Nation. So read the books, check out our reviews, or do it vice versa, but check out the other books that we've done too. They can be found on Apple Podcasts or SoundCloud or wherever you listen to your podcast. Mm-hmm. We are at our favorite things podcast. Yep. And while you're at it, rate, review, and subscribe also. Um... I wanted to quickly plug all the other stuff that we do. So we do highlights where we chit-chat about our daily lives. So if you want to get to know us better, that's a good thing to check out. Mm-hmm. But also, if you're a fan of The Bachelor, Bachelorette, all of that stuff, we are currently recapping The Bachelorette, so check us out on there also. I realize I've been talking and I haven't introduced ourselves. So my name is Mofi, and I'm going to be your host. I'm the person that's going to be holding things down here. And with me is my trusty partner, Tiasa. Hey, y'all. Tiasa, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Excited. About very, our very excited. <laughs> very, very excited, guys. Um, and yeah, we, in case you want to find out what next book that we're reading or want to keep up with us, <coughs> we share that info on our social media. We are at our faith pods on Twitter and Instagram. Um, and if we haven't mentioned this month and this chat, we're doing the clothesline swing, and we have the author himself on the podcast. Mind blown, mind blown, mind freaking blown. We we have in our heads our best friend, <laughs> Danny Ramadan, on the podcast. So settle right in while we get into this podcast. the greatest privilege to have author of the book, The Clothesline Swing, join us, Danny Ramadan. Welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? Thank you very much. Thank you for hosting me. I'm doing great. Enjoying the sun in Vancouver. Uh, oh. Not, it, no, God. Oh. My God. We, everybody is like, Vancouver is so beautiful. It has four seasons. I'm like, yes, four versions of the same winter. <laughs> Oh my god! I live obviously. I live in I live in Kingston right now, but in Ontario, and like everybody's dream, I think that lives here. Like everyone wants to move to Vancouver, so um, I don't know how I feel about that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I visited Kingston. Actually, it's a beautiful city. Oh my god, I love that city. Kingston is stunning. In the summer, did you come in the summer? No, actually, I came in f- November. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was the the uh, um, the Kingston Writers Festival, so I had to visit. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. But I enjoyed it. It was a beautiful city. I loved it so much. I walked around. It was lovely right. to the um, to the prison. What what they call it? And yeah, yeah. I had a tour. First time I go to a prison and I walk out by my. <laughs> 
Yeah, anyway, <laughs> let's not go there. Uh, <laughs> well, we're not there yet, I guess. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, uh, but you should come back, come back to Kingston. <laughs> Just for my selfish reasons. Sure, yeah. It's, it's, it'll be lovely. I have a friend, uh, my friend Bradley is from Kingston originally, and uh, we, we talk about that city all the time. It's a, it's a beautiful city. So, yeah. And, Oh, Vancouver prices and and the the real estate market here and mm-hmm. the rent here you might uh, you yeah. might find Kingston quite soon. Oh, I love it. That's that's the perk of living in Kingston. It's not as expensive as the major cities, Vancouver, yeah. Toronto, and all yeah. these places. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah. we're happy that you're good. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and as we told you, but we're so excited to have you on the podcast. Like we're excited because you're the author of the book, obviously. But mm. we love, we love the clothesline thing so much that it's just giving us all the feels. Aww, aww, <laughs> yeah. thank you. About <laughs> um, it, actually. Pardon? What What did you like about it? Um, for me, uh, what I really liked was just how personal it felt. Mm-hmm. It felt like it was, it was like, there's so many layers to it. Like, there's just so many key pieces that your book was talking about, but it felt like you were talking to me. Like, it felt like I was talking to the author, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's, and that's one thing that I really like. I haven't really read stuff like that, except if, I, if I'm reading, like, a memoir or something, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so having to read, like, a fictional book, I guess, and still feeling very connected was what I really liked about it. Yeah. yeah. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> so what did you like about the book? Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. <laughs> I was like just agreeing with you because same thing. But I think for me, I really, really, really like the writing style because it's like it's a collection of short stories, really. But it's so differently written. Like all the stories are very connected. Like they're it's all surrounded by like one person, and I just found the writing style very like emotional if that's um if that's how i want to put it i don't know it kind of it spoke to me on like a deeper level than just reading like a fictional novel so Mm -hmm. all right well it's thank you thank you for saying that it's um it's my attempt to always write something that would feel that i'm not lecturing you or i'm telling you a story as if you're not part of the process. Um, I I told you earlier, but like let me let me just add a little thing uh, to that. The the Hakawati, the main the main character, is mm-hmm. based on an actual career in Syria. The storyteller. Mm-hmm. So right. back in Damascus, we have an actual person that their job is to tell stories, oh. um, and they sit in cafes and they they just tell stories to people. And people cheer them on, and people talk to them, and ask them questions, and react quite angrily when the hero of the story is faced with a big challenge, mm-hmm. and cheer happily when the hero wins the battle and goes back mm-hmm. and grab his pride. And it's 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 a beautiful interactive process that I found so inspiring, and that's why I wanted to write a book that when you're reading it you would feel that way. I, I, I think I just wanted to to respect that tradition, that heritage that I have in me. I think if I was born 200 years ago, I'd be a great storyteller, Hakawati back in Damascus, but that's 
that's not going to happen. So might as well work this start. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it's more of a modern day hakawati, so you're still telling stories and really good stories too. So. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very we, much. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we typically have themes that we go through, and since we started talking on the theme of storytelling, I kind of want us to maybe talk a little bit more about that. So for for me, when I was reading when I was reading the book, um, stories were kind of used as a connecting piece between Hakawati and his dying lover, right? Mm. As kind of, and I saw it as kind of a way, um, like like the stories were used as a way to prolong their time together. Is this kind of is this was that one of the things that you were thinking about writing it, or is that how you interpret storytelling as a metaphor in this case? I think I think storytelling is their way of dealing with uh, difficult emotions that they're going through. I think it's their way of dealing with those emotions of the past as well as dealing with the emotions of the present. So, um, just to recap, the book is about the series of stories that uh, Hakawati, the, 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 the storyteller, is telling his dying partner to, to keep him from dying. And those stories include a lot of referencing, references to their experience as refugees, experience as growing up in Syria mm-hmm. and coming to Canada and finding their place in Canada. And I think that storytelling is, in, in the mind of Hakawati, it's, it's about prolonging the life of the listener, mm-hmm. keeping him alive. But in reality, it's, it's the, 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 um, the favor is the other way around. Mm-hmm. The listener is giving the space for Hakawati to tell those stories so he can um, uh, work with his emotions and, and deal with his uh, sense of loss and, and deal with the fact that his partner is about to pass away. You see what I mean? So yeah. I think that storytelling here was maybe a bridge, a two-way street mm-hmm. between a who wants to keep his partner alive and the listener who wants to help his, his partner who's going to stay after him to deal with the pain and sorrow, as well as to remember the joy and beauty of their journey together. Oh, Great. Wow. I think that's, that's it. it- a nice way to look at it because I think like how Mofi said it's like in his mind was his way of keeping him alive but you've just said it was also it was the um the favor was flipped right like so it's the Mm -hmm. listener's way of actually doing something um good for Hakawati and I would have never looked at it like that like I would have never seen it from that point of view so that's really interesting um but I wanted to say besides the Hakawati like is there any other um significance of storytelling like in Syrian culture or is the Hakawati is is the Hakawati that um significance um that's well that's 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 the thing I I think that um cultures are different in so many different so many different ways and uh the Syrian culture the way that we talk to each other the way that we interact is all about storytelling Mm -hmm. like when you ask people how are you here in Canada You'll get the 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 pre-recorded answer of oh I'm fine work is good things are fine. Uh, in Syria, when you ask someone like how are you, they would tell you a story. They would tell you how they are. You know what I mean? Mm. And and we are a culture of storytellers. We are a nation of storytellers. We like to to talk to each other. We like to share those stories. We spend. Um, <clears throat> 
hours every night, just like four or five hours every night between like seven and 1 a.m. and just talking about our days and, and uh, so-and-so of our neighbors and what they're doing and so-and-so of our relatives and what they're doing. We're, we're people who are gossipy, really. We are a group of people. <laughs> <laughs> really gossipy, and we call it storytelling just to feel better about ourselves. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> in in all reality, it is we are a nation of of people who like stories, who are entertained by them, and entertained by telling them. So I think it's it's really in the water I drank when I was young. It's it's, it's in the evenings that I spent with my family, with my friends that was centered around storytelling. Mm-hmm. I like that. I think, I think it's a way to really like foster that sense of community as well. It kind of makes everyone seem closer, you know. I don't know. It's kind yeah. of intimate, you know? Yeah, we, we are, like the Syrian, the Syrian community is a family-oriented community. Mm-hmm. So uh, you're close to your... Uh, family members, you're close to your father, your mother, your sisters, and then you're close to your cousins and your uncles and aunts, and those families come together, and then suddenly you're talking to, like, um, you're, you have a tribe of your own, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and I find that really beautiful. I find that to be, um, to be a base of many beautiful and awesome things and many horrible and difficult things because at the end of the day you are surrounded by your family 24 yeah. 7 and you stray away from what the family is and what the family expectations are so so it's it's assimilating in a way as well as building a community in another yeah yeah Great. yeah um i wanted to start talking about hakawati and i guess since he's kind of like the major character the person that we're reading the story so i wanted to discuss discuss on characters and Tessa and I have kind of talked about the fact that we enjoy character driven books Mm -hmm. but when we were kind of talking about the book we were like what I think was kind of a character driven book but not necessarily a character driven book because we're kind of thinking on the lens that the characters didn't necessarily develop like we didn't go through stages developing the characters so what do you think of this I guess polarizing thoughts in our head Mm -hmm. Mm. (laughs) <laughs> that's <laughs> that's interesting um i think i personally when i wrote the book i mm-hmm. wrote the book in in multiple layers so there is yes. there is multiple places uh that the book is taking place on there's the present of the characters of the main characters the storyteller and the listener um and that present it has to have a a narrative of some sort, and mm-hmm. I think the narrative that I wanted to take in that present is acceptance. I wanted the the uh, the Hakawati to go through the process of grief, mm-hmm. where it starts mm-hmm. with uh, anger, it moves on to um, negotiation, it uh, it ends up around begging. You know what I mean? It's it goes. Yeah. Through process of grieving his partner until he reached the point of acceptance by the very end of the book that's Mm -hmm. that's my thought of that character but that that ended up being secondary to to this the the actual stories of of uh hakawati and how he actually closed up so Mm. he was a very 
out of out there, very active child, trying his best to to fit in, building communities, uh, holding spaces, holding places for people, and then he got so much. Can I swear on this podcast? Yeah, sure. <laughs> he got so much shit thrown his face yeah. that he ended up being uh, so closed off and. And then how he ended up going out of that on the other side. So mm-hmm. it is it is a character driven book in my opinion, but yeah. <laughs> it's it's not written in the way that you would expect a character character driven book to go. It's not written in a way where the character starts at one point mm-hmm. and ends at a completely yeah. different point. Yeah. It's the fact that the narrative itself is not written to be um um yeah. Uh, yeah, like linear. It's a yeah. it's a non-linear narrative. So in my head, the whole story from A to Z is there, and I see the 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 character and how it develops. Mm-hmm. But when I wrote the book, I didn't want that to be the focus of it. I wanted the the because honestly, this is a completely jump, a completely different jump, and this is how my brain works. So let's hear <laughs> for a second. Um, I sat down with many folks over the period of time that I was writing this book and we were reminiscing and talking about uh, our life in Syria. We're talking about uh, our hopes and dreams for the future. And I noticed that we never actually talk about our lives in Syria the way that you would think it, it, well, it, it, it does. Mm-hmm. It's never... Never. I I was born in Damascus in 1984, and I grew up, and I uh, had right. my childhood. You remember stories, and those stories are not and never chronological. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, I can't pronounce that word. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how to say it either. <laughs> cool, awesome. English as second language here. Yay. Um, amazing. It's. Um, this, the, 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 the way that we tell our stories are never uh, linear. And so yeah. it makes sense to me that those two characters talking about their stories of the past, especially that they lived many of those stories together, they're not mm-hmm. going to talk about them in a linear way. Mm. Right. Yeah. I was going to say that, that that is exactly... I think you just like explained what I was trying to figure out about the character. I'm like, he's bouncing kind of back and forth and like, what is he going through... It was like for me, he was such a such a dynamic character, and actually my favorite in the book. I mean, he was the protagonist, but he was my favorite to read. It was just interesting seeing him kind of go back and forth between like feelings of peace and like chaos and confusion and acceptance. I mean, mm-hmm. it was it was so interesting to read. I think he was. Um, like you said, you he was going through these stages of grief, but you didn't want that to be the focus. And I think I could see that. It's like it was there, but it wasn't the main thing. Like you read the stories, but I think it was after I read, like I read the last line of the book, and I'm like, oh, he's just gone through this kind of linear. Like he's just gone through these stages, and at the end, ended up um, at acceptance. So I don't know. I yeah. thought it was very well put together. How 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 you wrote it. I, w- I I've never read about any character like that. I've never. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> thank you. All right. <laughs> I told you you were mind blown. Um, yeah. <laughs> I wanted to talk about one of my favorite characters in the book, and for me, it's kind of death as a character. 
that that was for me because I have like personally I have this weird um I guess relationship with death, but even death as a concept or like. But in your book, for me, it made me seem like it made it seem like he was a, he or she was a person, mm-hmm. and um, it was almost something that we could come to terms with and have this conversation with death, something that we don't want or we don't want kind of around us. So, uh, like, why did you? I guess my question really is, why did you go along this route of utilizing death as a character or having his presence in there or her or there? <laughs> um, okay, from from a logistical point of view, I I used he, him, and his. As pronounced okay. death, just to to make my life easier. To be honest, yeah. <laughs> as I'm yeah. writing the book, I I when I started writing the book in the first draft, death was always referred to as death. He had no pronouns mm-hmm. uh, throughout the book. But then it, I ended up with sentences that the word death repeated itself eight times right. in one paragraph, and that just sounded weird to my head. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. So he goes with he, him, and his for for okay. pronouns, and we should accept his gender identity the way it is. <laughs> we know that. Uh, <laughs> all right. Um, as for death itself, I think I want I I love writing magic realism. This is this is what I write. This is how I write things. It's going to always be the way that I write, unless I one day fall in love with an idea for a. I don't know, detective book, and then I'm not going to write magic realism. I'll, <laughs> I'll see about that. But for now, my next book is also written with magical characters in it. Um, mm. What I love the most about magic realism is the idea of inserting um, this mythological characters into day-to-day life mm-hmm. and roll with it and see how those characters are going to uh, evolve. I thought... I, I I thought of the angel of death as as a as an idea to come to the book. Um, very like it was a very small character that will show up at the beginning of the book and then show up at the end of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was about it for for the character. So the character was about to show up to uh, uh, the time that um, Hakawati was uh, gay bashed in Egypt. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it will show up at the very end when uh, the listener goes to the hospital. Um, so that was that was the role of of that. Uh, at the same time, I was quite inspired by my roommate. I had a roommate at some point back in uh, Beirut, and I adore that roommate. I think that roommate is the best person, the best roommate I've ever had in my life. It, it was an amazing uh, arrangement. He was quite interesting we had the most amazing uh friendship it was a great friendship but at the mm. same time i hated that roommate i couldn't oh. stand that guy because he is so annoying and he plays his instruments his musical <laughs> instruments at three o'clock in the morning and steals my weed and eats my food <laughs> and drink my coffee so <clears throat> i was quite inspired by the idea of having a this mischievous roommate character in my book who you love so much but you hate at the same time. You see what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So that's where the characterization characterization of death came into the book. Um, and then I thought I thought about it and I was like, those two characters have lived all of their lives with death and destruction and it became so normal for them. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. you... 
you you see the news coming out of the U.S. and I yeah. think that's intentional by the, the administration at the moment in the U.S. But you see the news coming out of the U.S. and I think they try their best to make their interesting ways normalized. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They want you to be desensitized to their bullshit, basically. Yeah. And I think I think that's what happened to my characters. They were desensitized mm -hmm. to death. So death became this presence that is always there, that they are totally fine with. They're, um, if you notice, Hakawati was totally fine with at the beginning, and then the listener midway through the book started to realize that that, that presence is there. You yeah. see what I mean? Yeah. And I think, mm -hmm. I think it was about them starting to accept the fact that death is unavoidable. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. I mean, it's like one of the only... I, I think I heard a quote the other day, and the person said, one of the things we fail to accept is that death is, the, is one of the only constants in life. Like, if you're going to count on anything, you can count on death. And it's yeah. so true. I mean, it's morbid, but it's so true. <laughs> well, I don't find it morbid at all, to be honest. I'm, I have, I don't know. I, I, I'm not fascinated with death. I'm not one of those guys. <laughs> I'm not like goth or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think it's, it's quite comforting to know that um, all of this is limited and all of this is is meaningful because it's going to come to an end. If it, mm -hmm. if it wasn't, mm -hmm. it wouldn't be meaningful. If it's always going to be daytime, yeah. if the sun never sun like like if it, there was never a sunset, you would forget the value of the day. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I I just find find it to be a fact of life, and I I appreciate it. I find I find it useful. comment because you said that you like to write and read um, magic magical realism and Mofi and I were talking and I told her that I think that I would place your book um, within the confines of magical realism and I was going to ask you what you thought about that and then you just brought it up that that's exactly how you write and I really enjoy reading magical realism as well so um, I think that was one of the things I enjoyed about the book as well yeah, I, I think magic realism is, is the place I'm most comfortable in. Mm -hmm. What do you think? What did you think the most beautiful? Like, I, I had many <laughs> characters that are magic realism in there, that are, like, magical in there. Um, what scenes stood out for you? Um, I think you had the um, character of the... Well, I don't know if this was necessarily... Maybe it is, but let me just say it. So you had the character that was... Um, she was being protected by God. Yes, Tekla. Yes, that Tekla, yes. That was my favorite, um, um, one of my favorite, like, stories, like, departures from, like, uh, Hakawati's story um, in the book. Yeah, that was mm. very... And how you kind of juxtaposed it with Jake's um, Jake's story um, yeah. of how he was protecting them and God was protecting her. So, yeah, that was my favorite one. Awesome. I, uh, Tekla is a real... Well, Tekla is a real symbol in Christianity in Syria. I don't know if she was a real person to begin with, but she was a real symbol of Christianity in Syria. Um, I exaggerated the story a bit, and I, I, I added a bit of magical touches here and there. I didn't have to do much, because at the end of the day, this is Christianity, so they already have their own magical touches yeah, in there. Yeah, it's already magical touches. <laughs> <laughs> but I... I 
It was, actually, that chapter is... I, it was the last chapter that I wrote in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, I wrote the whole book, and then I went back to that chapter, and it was a completely different chapter. It was a the worst chapter I've ever written. The worst thing I've ever written in my life, probably. Um, and then one day I was sitting there, I'm like, what do I do with this shit? And then... Um, I started Googling Syrian traditions, Syrian heritage, and I'm like trying to get inspired. And I, I ran into the story of Tekla and I'm like, oh my God, that is so beautiful and so perfect for this. So yeah, I appreciate that story too. Yeah, it did. It it worked well. You also used the little mermaid, which I found super, super interesting. Like I was completely... Um, unexpected. Does that does that fairy tale in particular hold like any significance? Honey, I'm gay. Every gay man <laughs> has fallen in love with the Little Mermaid. That's what we do. <laughs> we find our sexuality watching the Little Mermaid. Oh like, oh, oh, Eric. Yes, Eric. <laughs> uh, I did not know that. I learn. I learn something every day. <laughs> no right. No, um, the 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 story of the Little Mermaid is um. I don't know what I liked about it is that he was it was a story that I could tell from so many different aspects. Yeah. As, as the finale, and I I wanted to write a story that always ends up on a sad note, and then the the um, the listener would be no, I'm done with sadness. Mm-hmm. Let's go, go back to happiness. Let's try this again. So I will try again and I'll try again. Uh, actually, my editor stopped me after the third time. Uh, the original ending had seven Little Mermaid stories. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I was like, I think they get it. I think you made your point. <laughs> yeah. I like that story too. I like it a lot, actually. I thought it was crazy how it, he always attached like a, a country to it. He's like, no, you're talking about this place. And I'm like, wait, how did you do that? <laughs> it, it's, it wasn't meant to be told. Like, it wasn't meant to be, um, like, it was the moment where, uh, that's, that's going really deep into my, my line of thought. I think Hakawati is losing his mind. Mm-hmm. While the listener is dying, yeah, you see yeah. what I mean. Yeah, and that was the moment where Hakawati has found a place within his mind to be living in a fairy tale, and the listener is guiding him through that life mm-hmm. to leave him in a happy place, knowing that he is going to lose his mind. while the the listener sleeps for the last time, if that makes any sense to you. Yeah. That's how I wanted to write it, and that's what my my drive. When I've never actually told anybody this. But that was wow. writing that that final chapter. Um, and that's what I wanted to do with it. I wanted to the many layers of the book. One of them is the fact that Hakawati is losing his mind, and the listeners while the listeners dying, and that the last chapter would be where Hakawati accepts the fact that he's losing his mind, but lives in this corner of a happy underwater place that is beautiful that will last forever. Wow. Wow. Okay, I mean, like, I'm so happy we're talking to you because there's so much more insight um, into, I guess, your thought process with the book. And I, I think it's very 
it's very nice to know like your your line of thought, I guess, with it. Oh, thank you. Um, so speaking of Hakawati losing his mind, I think um, mental health definitely played a huge role in the book. I mean, between Hakawati and um, his mom mm-hmm. as well. So, what um, if you if you if you know? Um, do you know what disorder you were trying to write about, like with his mom, or were you just writing? Because I was trying. I was a psychology major, so I was trying to like diagnose her while I was reading. Um, I think she had a post, uh, postnatal depression that went um, undiagnosed and, uh, also, um, um, like played, played, like got more complicated Mm -hmm. with, um, a genetic, uh, schizophrenia situation going on with her. Mm You see what I mean? So I think that she was schizophrenic is the word I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, all of his her life, she always have been. Um, it was a it was a manageable situation when her life was beautiful, when she had a clothesline swing, when she had a beautiful little word for her and her son. But as she got older and she got she got through the uh, miscarriage and she got through the abandonment from the father and she um, she started to a bit by bit step into the darker water of schizophrenia. Mm. Interesting. And I'm sorry, how, how about that the major as like as your major? Does that make sense to you? Uh, yeah, yeah, that makes that makes complete sense to me. Actually, because I mean, she was hearing voices, um, right? So that makes that actually makes sense. Yeah. Um, but how 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 important was it for you to include that as as a as a theme in the book, as part of the character? All right. So again, deep thoughts here. Um, I wanted to write a story about uh, the motherland and connected with the actual mother. Um, so basically, Syria. Uh, well, to be honest, it started with me thinking of how Syria as the motherland, basically became insane. It, mm-hmm. You grow up with this loving, beautiful city in this loving nation that you can't see the wrongs of its uh, attitude, the wrongs of its doings, mm-hmm. because you're so young, you think that this is the norm, um, and then uh, men come around and fuck shit up and cause the country to go insane. And I found that to be a beautiful connection to the idea of, well, a horrible connection, but a beautiful mm-hmm. connection uh, to the idea of connecting the son to his mother. To his mother. I, I wanted the mother to, to reflect, to mirror the same uh, experience that uh, many uh, refugees feel towards mm-hmm. other nations. That that's very that's very profound. And one of the things that you me- that you mentioned that I want us to kind of explore a lot deeper is um, the actual like the clothesline swing and what it represents. Mm. Um, and for me, at least, if I had to interpret that, and I'm glad that you're here to put me in my place. But um, <laughs> <laughs> but part of the things that came to mind when I was reading it was kind of like the normal like the normalcy of Syria. Um, mm. Like he. 
he had his normal life. Um, his mom, uh, or they put together a clothes and swing. And how, like, when we think of refugees at times, people have this picture of come like it's always been war torn. But it's but there's there's this image that reminds us that it was an every like it could just be like tonight, for example. We have our every or you, there was the everyday experiences for refugees. So mm. let me know what you think about this. <laughs> Um, I actually love that um, that interpretation. I think I think that the clothesline swing is about personal joys, personal mm. pleasures, per- personal truth. Really, it's about. I think that I've heard like a billion people asking me why I chose the clothesline swing as a title mm-hmm. and why yeah. that's so specifically. It's because every single person who read the book interpreted the clothesline swing specifically, every single person who read the book before it was published, it had a completely different title that I'm not mm. doing. But, um, <laughs> mentioned the clothesline swing and mentioned something about it, that it triggered something in their own um, identity. And I found that mm. to be... Um, for me specifically, the clothesline swing is about the Hakawati trying to find joy in his life. Mm. Um, trying to find this like pure, pure moment of complete joy and complete lack of burden, um, and I think that was it for him, finding yeah. that moment and like finding that 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 place within him allowed him to actually start to take off the burden of his own shoulders. Yeah. If you notice, Hakawati up until the story of the clothesline swing has always been burdened, yeah. has always yeah. been feeling that he is, he has to be the strong one. He has to take care of mm. things. He has to show, um, uh, strength and resilience. And, uh, and he's always triggered by, by the stories of the past. And then he remembers the clothesline swing. He remembers that small little story that reminds him of the actual joy that, that he felt once. And then that moment breaks him. It allows him to start relying on others, relying on death, relying on his list, on his listener, on friends coming around. On you know what I mean. So I think that that was the breaking point for Hakawati uh, to to start to change towards acceptance. Wow! wow. Also, it, it, in a way, it was his way of reaching peace with his mother. That he. Mm. He, yes, he is quite um, upset, uh, quite quite uh, hurt, quite harmed, really, by the experience of growing up in that household. Um, but it was the moment that he could tell that, sure, I can keep the hurts, but also I can remember the joy. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I think I, I but that's that my Sorry, I'm sorry, I jumped on you. No, no, go ahead. I was just going to say that I definitely felt that way reading it. Like, I felt the joy and the peace with with, um, with that section of the yeah. book. <laughs> I, I, that's, I, think, I think, though, that this is my own interpretation. And what I like the most about that, that specific section, mm-hmm. is that it brings different emotions for different people. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Um... Since I guess this are along the lines of also talking about his mother, there was something that was really key in the story or in the stories, I would say, was the role family and even as an extension 
for having and finding community played in Hakawati's life. Um, mm-hmm. I'm sure that was intentional, but I would be, I'm curious to hear more about why that was such a key piece. What did it reflect in you? What did it make you, why are you asking that question? Um, because when I think, and, and especially coming from a lot of um, collective communities, so thinking like my background is Nigerian, I'm Nigerian, and, and knowing the importance of family, and for example, like we use our last names a lot, and that signifies something. So family is really strong. But when I think about Hakawati and even his experiences um, being a gay man in, in Syria and, and some of the, dis- or the discrimination that he faced, and even going through the refugee process, um, mm-hmm. knowing the importance of having a community, an LGBTQ plus community in his case, but for me, like being a black woman, having a black community, um, it speaks, it speaks volumes to almost some of the, to, uh, to the oppression that has been faced within these communities. So I guess I rambled a lot, but I think that's why that was really important to me. Yeah. All right. All right. Um, <laughs> like, no, I, I no, I, I, I just would like to hear your thoughts about that. Um, for me specifically, forget about the Hakawati, forget about the storyteller. For me specifically, um, finding my spiritual family, my chosen family, is was was always the 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 way to go. Was always the 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 goal really. Um, I'm personally, as a queer person who came out of the closet, I got disconnected from my uh, blood family. I got disconnected from my kin, basically. And I I ended up seeking um, spiritual family for the rest of my life. And it's beautiful. It's beautiful to find people in our day-to-day life uh, who adore, adore the fact that I'm their friend, who mm-hmm. care for and text me and talk to me and and find uh, a place for me in their hearts. That's that's a beautiful thing. Um, At the same time, we are designed as Syrians with the idea of nuclear family. We're designed with the whole concept of you care for your father, you care for your mother, you listen to them, you... We have this whole, like, you know the Jewish guilt? We have it too, the Arab guilt, and maybe I don't this like guilt around family and feeling that you have to take care of everything about about your family and you're always guilty that you're not doing enough. This is there. Mm-hmm. And I have to have a serious conversation with myself as as a queer queer person coming from a Syrian family that it is totally okay to um, to cut off those ties that I'm craving so much at the same time. Right. It's okay for me to actually prioritize myself and be who I am and focus on on the many identities that I carry, my queer identity, my mm-hmm. my my person of color identity, all of those identities that I carry, yeah. focus on enriching them, on making myself better and mm-hmm. recognize that those relationships with my chosen family can be toxic mm-hmm. so it's it's this I'm craving it I'm feeling guilty about it but at the same time logically speaking I'm like I should cut it and this is what I should do and that's that's um 
I don't know. I'm I'm rambling. I feel like I'm rambling. This is <laughs> families make you ramble. I guess I don't know. Uh, <laughs> it made me ramble too. <laughs> I know, right? Because it's it's a complicated relationship yeah. with folks that there's a lot of expectations around. There's a lot of understanding of. Uh, the relationships that you have with, there's a lot of messages that you get all the time about your family. There's a lot of TV shows that are, I don't know, uh, about families, uh, advertisements on YouTube showing mm-hmm. a mother and there's, there's, uh, and her son together on a, on a park bench or whatever and having a conversation. There's always that concept of family is present all around us. And the fact that we chose a completely different concept of family yeah. That doesn't fit into the social narrative mm-hmm. makes it hard. Yeah. That's, that's that's for me. That's for me as Danny the author. Mm-hmm. For Hakawati, I think that Hakawati. Um, I don't know. I think Hakawati just did the right thing. He just cut it off. He just did what he should do. He spent years and years not talking to his family. If you remember, at some point, he gets a phone call from his stepmother telling him that his father has passed away. Yeah. And that's yeah. about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. He is burdened by them, but he has made the Brazilian smart decision of cutting those ties. Absolutely. Um, so we can go on and on on the themes because there's so much, but <laughs> we want to, I guess, uh, ask you some other questions or like ask you some things relating to the book but just on a broader piece of of um, on a broader level I guess um, mm-hmm. so one of the questions we typically have when we think hypothetically if we're going to talk to the author is if you could ask the author one question what would it be um, so I guess Tess I'm asking you like what would you ask since we do have the author here we do <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you ask the <laughs> um, so I actually have a two-part question, but the second part is, is pretty easy. Um, so I think I'll ask you that first, and then I'll ask you the longer part. So the one, the omelet thing—you know how you, the two, um, the teaspoons of flour make the yes. omelet more fluffy. Is that like from your personal life, or did you make that up? Um, cooking is a very important theme in the book. Mm-hmm, yeah, uh, the big connection between uh, between. Uh, uh, it's it's a it's a it's an act of service. It's an act of love. It's an act of connection between families, um, and at the same time, it's literally the only life skill that uh, Hakawati's mother taught him. Yeah, and that's why it. I kept repeating that in the book. I I honestly, I personally add. Uh, uh, flour into my my eggs, mm-hmm. and I learned that from my mother. So that was that was why I used that. It could literally have been add olive oil to I don't know pure cheese. Uh, <laughs> it just the 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 concept itself of what you're adding to what doesn't matter as much as me trying to to show you that there's a connection over food, and that there's a skill that he learned from his mother that he he kept with him. For the next seventy years, eighty years of his life. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And and the the other question I had was, do you consider your book um, like a piece of activism? 
do I consider my book a piece of activism? I, I think that that's up to the reader. Mm. Mm. I completely think that that's up to the reader. I wrote this book because I wanted to tell a story about a Syrian gay refugee. And I am a Syrian gay refugee. If this book was written by a Syrian gay refugee, it would be a story about somebody just like them. So it wouldn't be a book of activism. If it's writ read by a white cisgender man who's straight, who is, um, I don't know, never met a Syrian man before, mm -hmm. it would be a book of activism because I am literally opening windows, mm -hmm. shattering yes. bar uh, barriers between those two characters. Yeah, agreed, agreed. Well, that's, that's very insightful because obviously one of, as you said, the book, you, you wrote a book about a gay Syrian refugee and one of the things that we had kind of discussed even personally was talking about the realities of um, Syrian gay men or gay men in different contexts but there was that piece um, that one humanizes people especially if there's no connection with this community um, mm -hmm. but also just just telling us and telling the readers the realities and the stories too. Yeah. I I wrote the book in a way that when I wrote the book, wrote the book, I wanted to make sure that it wasn't directed towards gay people, just gay mm. people. Like my target audience wasn't just gay people. If my target audience was was just gay people, I would write a book about a white gay man in his twenties <laughs> who works as a stripper, but he is a sweetheart who is just working for. Uh, to put himself through college, and that's basically literally every single gay literature book I've read in ten years now. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm I'm done with that story. I'm really done with that story. I don't want to write another erotica. I don't want to write another uh, teenage anxious uh, come out of the closet uh, lust after the gay, young, white, gender man who is gorgeous. I didn't want to write. Um, I wrote the book in a way to, to bring down those barriers, to actually allow a person to actually read into this book and get to know those characters and not, not shy away from the book. Like, I didn't... Um, I'm not personally a person who writes uh, sex scenes, for example. Like, when, when I write sex scenes, um, I find it awkward, so I usually write them in a very poetic way. Mm -hmm. um, I find it really awkward to just write a sex scene. It's the weirdest thing. Um, <laughs> no, seriously, how do you write a freaking sex scene? Like, what did, you, like, did you ever read um, Fifty Shades of Grey? <laughs> Did and I hated the fact that I read the first one and I decided that that was <laughs> book ever written in history. Oh my god! <laughs> oh my god! So I didn't want to write Fifty Shades of Gay. <laughs> I wanted to write a story about two people who are falling in love, and I wanted to write it in a way that if it triggered the same emotions at different people regardless of their uh, sexual orientation or gender identity. So I wanted to trigger the feeling of love, not the feeling of two men falling in love. You know what I mean? Right. Or two men having sex. Absolutely. I'm with that. I think two men having sex is a great idea, but... Uh, <laughs> 
at the same time, that's 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 what that's the choice I made. Yeah. Uh, yeah. In my next book, there are a couple of sex scenes that I'm struggling in writing. <laughs> let's see, let's see how that comes out. We'll be watching. Right. Amazing. Oh, amazing. <laughs> um, so another question that we typically ask is. I asked, like, who in the book would you like to meet? So essentially, again, I'm asking Tessa, who, who in the book she'll like to meet? And what would she say or ask or why? Um, <laughs> I think I've been gushing about the Hakawati. So, yeah, that's that's the character in the book I'd like to meet. And just because, like, I, when I was young, my aunt used to tell us stories. Like, she would come over to the house and she'd just sit us all around and tell us stories. And... When I started reading more, I realized that she was just telling me stories from books that she had read, like the Chronicles of Narnia. But they seemed so, like, you know, amazing coming out of her mouth. But she didn't, she didn't make them up. And at the time, I thought she made them up. She was just telling us them from books. But anyway, I would just ask um, Hakoati to tell me a story. Nice. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> me? Yeah. <laughs> For me, it would be death. Like I think that, as I said, like that was almost not my favorite character, but I really, for some reason, enjoyed his presence. Um, <laughs> so, so I would. I mean, I would just, I would just ask them to, or ask him to be around me when, when I have questions or things like that. So I think that that would just be it. Like, can you be accessible? To me, <laughs> <laughs> like exchange phone numbers, can we check in the down? I don't know. Call you uh, whenever you it's, creep, it's creepy, but something like that. No, I, I personally don't think it's creepy at all. <laughs> all right, that's yeah, that's let's see. Question. Yeah, right. so this is our, I guess, our major last question is just the overall impact the novel had on us. Um, did it remind us of anything in our lives, any events, like anything in society? Um, I guess, Tessa, I would let you share. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, it's a little bit deep. I guess it's kind of like we're talking to so many people, so sometimes it feels like we're sharing so many personal things, but whatever. For me, it just kind of reminded me of some pain I've had in my life, but also like the pain that people... Um, are facing around the world every day things that we don't talk about the things we overlook you know the one-liners at the bottom of the tv screen um and i think also reminded me of the importance of family and the role that they play in our lives and um how important it is i think to know like who you are within your family like as an individual who you are as an individual as part of that community um of your family um, and so it just reminded me of that. And then I think lastly, um, how as a society we continue to like alienate as opposed to being inclusive um, and not realizing how like harmful and detrimental that mentality is, you know, the whole us versus them thing. Um, so that, that's just some of the things that um, the book reminded me of. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I feel the same way. I think you you uh, you really captured how I felt. Um, as you said, the one line, like almost like the one line that we see at the end of the TV, um, or just on Twitter, I was scrolling past it. You know, so for me, it was just reminded me of the realities um, of refugees in different contexts, and even the refugee experience as a whole. 
um, but also um, the importance of advocacy. And as Tessa said, like um, being inclusive and and not othering. Um, and I had a quote. There's a quote that my Angela I think says that it says, um, "People will forget what you said. People will forget what you did. But people will never forget how you made them feel." And that's and that's the overall impact like this book has had on me. Like I remember when I was done and I tweeted at you, but I like my heart. It felt like the book was in my heart, and my heart was like wrapped around. It. And that's the only way I can describe how I felt when I read the book. So um, I don't know. It just feels very cool. So I guess um, that was the <laughs> that was the impact it had. Oh, yeah. that's actually quite cool. Yeah. 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 All right, I think that's pretty much, this is the end. Do you have, we do something at the end of our podcast where we let people, um, like, know what we're reading or what we're currently reading and make any recommendations. So I don't know if you have time or not, so I want to check with you first if you have time, and then. Sure. Uh, you want me to make recommendations for people? So the first so the first thing I want to ask you is, I know it's Pride, I mean, I guess we're almost getting to the end of Pride Month. Um, but I feel like every day, every month, we should celebrate um, the work and the members of the LGBTQ plus communities and reading more LGBTQ plus literature. Um, so I was going to ask, maybe what are some books you, you might recommend to people um, to read? Uh, oh my God, so many. Uh, let's talk about... The book I'm reading right now is Less by uh, Andrew Sean Prayer. Uh, just won uh, the, the uh, Pulitzer Award, actually. Uh, mm-hmm. One of the first queer books to win a Pulitzer, so that's amazing. Okay. Uh, I love the book. It's it's uh, really well written. I love the characters. It's it's amazing. Uh, I just finished Sodom Road Exit by Amber Dawn. I don't know if you know Amber Dawn, but she is fabulous. She is a great storyteller. She's a great poet. Uh, this book is uh, set in an abandoned amusement park where this woman is coming to terms with her sexuality while also uh, navigating her relationship with a ghost. And I find oh. this kind of book amazing. Um, <laughs> David uh, Dimwick, I think. I can't pronounce his last name, but I think it's Dimwick. He has a collection of short stories called The Bone Mother. The Bone Mother is a wonderful collection of horror short stories that are not scary, they're creepy. And that's my favorite kind of horror. They are, you read the book and, and you're like, you read the stories and you're not scared, but at the same time you're like, that's creepy. That's it's, it's wonderful. I love that. I can go on. I, all I yeah. do is read through these. <laughs> So I can go on. <laughs> um, no, I think I think we have a good a good collection to, awesome. Great. to check out. But yeah, but thank you so much, Danny. You have I'm sure you probably maybe have some of an idea, but you have no idea how um, we're so thankful that you were able to come on the podcast. But we're able to get your insights because this doesn't happen every day. So. Once again, thank you for joining us on our podcast. I'm so happy I was here. I really enjoyed your comedy, guys. It was wonderful. So thank you so much for hosting me. Likewise, likewise. Thank you. Um, Before you head out, just um, let people know maybe where to find you or find information about you, your books, the work that you do, anything. Anything you want to plug, just feel free to plug it right here. (laughs) (laughs) All right. 
So uh, you can find all the information about me and my activism and my work on my website. That is dannyramadan.com, D-A-N-N-Y-R-A-M-A-D-A-N.com. Uh, also, come to my fundraiser, An Evening in Damascus, where I raise funds for queer Syrian refugees to come to Canada uh, and support Rainbow Refugee, which is a local organization. As well as, if you're around in Vancouver, around Pride, I have my annual Night of Storytelling, where I bring queer authors from across uh, Canada and the U.S. to come together and read from their acclaimed work. And this year, I'm bringing S.J. Sindo from Tamba in the U.S., where she's going to read from A Thousand of a Marriage of a, um, a Marriage of a Thousand Lives, which mm. is her latest book that was just nominated for Lambda, which I'm so happy to have her here. So please come to my events and check my book out. Yeah, yeah. Everybody check out the clothing. I'm really good at this. I have been doing this for ages now. So now <laughs> you are. I'm really good at blogging shit now. <laughs> I was like, oh, I, kind of want, I really want to go. <laughs> <laughs> it's a talent. And I promise you, I'm going to be as goofy over there as I am right now. <laughs> I, I don't doubt that for a second. <laughs> um, but yeah. When it's out, well, I will... I will Broadcast it, okay? Yes. Will do. Thank you. Perfect. <laughs> of okay, course. My pleasure. Have a good evening. Thank you. You too. Take care. Bye. 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 So once again, we just want to send a quick and a huge and a big thank you to Danny Ramadan for joining us on the podcast. Um, there were so many times during this interview, or sorry, this conversation, that Tiesa and I were like mind freaking blown. <laughs> yep. You know, um, yeah. So we hope you guys enjoyed it. And again, Danny, thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Um, but in typical fashion, we knew we couldn't leave you guys with this important piece of the podcast that we love so much. We is do. Letting you enter our Faith Pods library. library. The library is open. <laughs> Um, so, so the first thing we like to talk about is what we've read this month. As I said, what have you read in the month of June? June. I've read five books this month. Um, Everything I Never Told You by Celeste Ng. Oh my God, I don't know. Or N. I don't know how to pronounce it. Somebody that stop me. Wrong. <laughs> Sounds very wrong. My first name is Celeste. Um, <laughs> Close Line Swing, of course, by Danny Ramadan. Have You Seen Marie by Sandra Cisneros, Ocean at the End of the Lane by Neil Gaiman, and The Sun and Her Flowers by Rupi Kaur. Mm. Yes, if I didn't say the name correctly, just leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> what have um, you read, Mofi? I've read, uh, wait, I need to count, one, two, three, four, six books this month. Um, nice. I'm hoping to finish my seven this month, actually. Which I have movies about. on a but, roll. Follow yeah. her on Goodreads. I, <laughs> gosh, I just this plug in my Goodreads. <laughs> I'm stressed. <laughs> I'm stressed. Um, okay, so I've read Indian Horse by Richard Wagamese, which is amazing. I've read Stay With Me by Ayabami Adebayo. I need to read. I've read The Boy on the Beach by Tima Curdy, which is also, like, freaking That's something else. Read. 
I've read erotic stories by Punjabi widows, by Bali Car Jaswal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> and that's also like guys, pick pick that damn book up. Um, I've read Three Daughters of Eve by Elif Shafak, which again. Um, and I've read Single State of Mind by Andy Dorfman, which, by the way, I really liked. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Her last book, I recently did, like, it was almost like, as soon as I was done, I was like, oh, I'll take this book in my hand. This one was pretty, it was pretty good. If you're, like, single, young, you, like, you like to listen to your girlfriend, you and your girlfriend sit and tell stories about, mm-hmm. like, your random hookups and stuff, this, oh, you would, is that you would what love it is? this book. <laughs> Essentially, essentially. <laughs> essentially. Um, okay, so what are you currently reading? Currently reading um, Confess by Colleen Hoover. It's pretty oh, good. It's pretty good. <laughs> wow, wow. <laughs> um, so the book I'm reading right now is called My Grandmother's Hands, Racialized Trauma and the Mending of Our Bodies and Our Hearts. It's a really, really good book. If if you're like black, white, um identify as person of color, racialized, whatever the case is, it's a it's a book that really goes deep into white supremacy mm-hmm. um from like from both ends, like how it affects us as people of color, especially as black people, but also how it's manifested in white bodies too. And and mm-hmm. in, in turn, there, in turn, it's kind of how white people react to blackness. But everything mm-hmm. is shaped by white supremacy. It's it's like it's a mind blowing book. I really enjoy it. Yeah, for you, for people that like stuff like that, like you, you would you would definitely enjoy it. Um, what are you looking forward to reading next month? Oh my god, next month is just going to be so happening for me. <laughs> wow. Okay. Erotic Stories for Punjabi Widows, which Mofi said she just read. I'm really looking forward to reading it. Of course, our July book of the month, Children of Blood and Bone. I cannot wait to buy it and read it. Um, mm-hmm. Cat King of, of Havana. I think that's the name of the book. Um, I'm looking forward to reading that. And also, I Know Why the Cage Bird Sings by Maya Angelou. I have that I as well. really so, good. Yeah, looking forward to reading those those four next month. Okay, let's see mine. I'm hoping to read. So you want to read about race? So so you want to talk about race Mm -hmm. by Ijoma Oluo. Mm -hmm. Um, The sun does not shine. How I found life and freedom on death row. Um, Wow! It's it's like an Imamoa type of book um, by Anthony Ray Hinton. I'm really excited about that. Um, The girl who smiled beads. By Clementine Wamaria. Um, have you? I don't know if you've seen it around, but it's a book about um, she was a refugee, so her process of going through the refugee um, or going through the ref- her experience going through the refugee process mm-hmm. looks like a really, really. I think really you told book. me about it, or I've seen it on Goodreads, but the name sounds very familiar. It's very popular. It's very popular. Really excited about that. I'm hoping to read the book Thief. It's on my list, but we'll see. Let's see. 
Um, and then, of course, Children of Blood and Bone, which I'm excited. I'm excited for, but it's not my natural, like, mm-hmm. it's not the type, you guys listen to the kind of books I read. <laughs> it's not the type of books I read, um, but I'm doing it for the culture. I'm doing it for our podcast. Um, so, yeah. And speaking of, speaking of, uh, I want to introduce what's coming up next on our favorites. Um, mm-hmm. As you said, we're reading Children of Blood and Bone by Tomi Adeyemi. So, um Big pick up the book if you haven't already, but if you have, stay tuned, send us your thoughts, send us your questions um, while you're reading or whatever. Just tell us so we can share it on the podcast. We are at our fave pods um, on Twitter and Instagram. Mm-hmm. We have an email, but I actually don't know what it is. Our fave pods at gmail.com. <laughs> oh, oh, wow. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, and Tessa, where can everybody find you? Y'all can find me on Twitter at T-I-I-E-S-E. Same thing on Instagram. And you can read my travel blog, <laughs> samefootprints.com. <laughs> yes. Um, and you guys, uh, in addition to everything Danny said on where you can find him, you can also find him on his social media. I'm plugging his social media. <laughs> wow. But his, his on Twitter at Danny Sees It. So D-A-N-N-Y-S-E-E-S-I-T. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you can find me on Twitter. I am at Miss Badmos, so that's M S B A D M O S. And you can find me on my bookstagram. <laughs> um, it's Books and Busy, but it's spelled as B O O K S Books X Busy. Um, and X like the letter, the alphabet. Yeah, E X. Just also makes. follow her on Goodreads. <laughs> yeah, yeah, follow me on Goodreads. <laughs> Alright guys, um thank you so much for joining us. Thank you again to our guest and um